0: This is Create The Next from Pro CFO Partners, where every week we explore strategies and ideas for financial management and growth to help today's businesses put their financial picture in context.
1: Welcome back to Create The Next. I'm Chris Bintliff and I'm joined today by one of our CFOs, Stephanie Parker. Stephanie, it's great to have you uh, joining us today. And I'm excited to talk about this because I'm kind of a techie nerdy guy and I spend a lot of time around tech and tech companies. And I'm really interested in your insights on startup uh, culture, startup um, sort of environment right now in this unique space Mm -hmm. that we're in, maybe where technology is finding its space with some of the challenges we're facing right now with supply chain, with uh, inflation, with all the things that have come and gone in the last couple of years. So, welcome to the show. And I think my first kind of question for you is. Just kind of what are you seeing right now from where tech has been to where tech is now, to where tech is going as an industry and even as a as an as a force that impacts us all, both as, as in business and as consumers.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Chris. Um, the evolution of tech is certainly an interesting product. Um Technology, I feel like used to be based upon, if you were talking about tech to a CTO or a CIO, it would be based upon like outages, backing up the data, redundancy, what went down, how do we fix it? And now it's evolved to speed and security and user ability, Um, how to prevent latency, slowdowns. We've kind of figured out the architecture and what works and how to prevent major outages and loss of data. And now it's about how fast can I get it? Is it secure? Is it helpful? Um, For example, when I started at Motorola, I'm not going to say how many years ago, uh, I had a box on my desk that was cabled to an AS400 mainframe inside the building, right? I would run a report, hit send. 20 minutes later, I could go pick it up. Could you imagine like working? Like like the fresh outs of college working in that environment because we want it and we want it now. And sometimes it's really critical, important that we have it at the moment we have it and that it's helpful.
1: You know, it's interesting. There's there's almost a catch 22 or chicken and egg kind of thing uh, where I love what you talked about before. Um, we were in this phase of, of almost uh, survival with technology. It was, you know, as you pointed out, are, is everything up? Uh, what, what are we dealing with as far as uptime? Are, are things breaking? And as we figured that out, we've evolved to what then would have been conveniences, but now are, as you point out, matters of of a new survival because consumers have an expectation or users have an expectation, and one uh, experience feeds another. If it's really easy for me to use my phone in this way, why can't I use the corporate intranet in this way? And if it's really easy for me to read my emails here, why is it such a hassle to get it there? Do you feel like that is shaping? Um, a new sort of, I guess, I, I hate the word paradigm, but a new approach or paradigm in how companies are looking at technology? Is it more user-centric in the ways of driving behaviors or in the ways of accommodating expectations?
2: I think, I think it's a little bit of both, actually. I mean, kids right now can go to college and get a four-year degree in user experience, yeah. which is really an interesting up-and-coming item. Like, like if you are a payroll person sitting at a desk, what is your user experience? Are we giving you the tools that you need to be successful? Is it all in one place so you don't have to go searching for it? Is it readily available? How fast can we get you to do your job and still like have you do something meaningful in the eight hours you're sitting at your desk? It's, it's just, it's totally changed. And I think that, you know, where architecture used to drive a lot of technology and and believe me, it still does because without that, you know we're all kind of dead in the water. Um, I feel like that piece has been figured out, and now it's a lot more application and software driven
1: and you know I've got a, a daughter who's fourteen years old interested in technology, and I remind her again and again, whatever job you're going to have first does not exist yet, and so there's right. there's this uh, idea of i guess getting comfortable. With technology, with a capital T, but where it's going and where it's headed—I mean, a year from now, we might all be wearing goggles, you know—and and we'll be entering virtual reality in a way that 15 years ago, none of us were carrying around these these glass and, and steel bricks—and and it's changed everything that we do. What do you think? And we're talking about hardware in that sense. But what do you think is um, if I'm a technology company that runs the gamut? I could be a small, you know, software as a service kind of startup with two of us, I could be, you know, at scale enterprise solving problems for global organizations, I could be software development, I could be all kinds of things, but are there some through points there or some common threads that you see as uh, challenges, modern challenges for those growing technology companies?
2: Yes, absolutely. I feel like growth from small to midsize um, is a big hurdle for a lot of companies and requires some very competent financial planning. Firstly, in a typical startup, like from you know my side of things, you have one accountant or one finance person doing everything. So they have to be transactional as well as forward thinking with planning and helping everybody out. Um, knowing the right time to bring in outsourced expertise, such as payroll, benefits coordination, bookkeeping help, know a lot of people don't have the budget to do that at first but those are some of the first things that you should be outsourced because not only is it a liability if if you're doing it all in-house it's pretty cheap and cost effective to outsource that um i would say that most people most startups don't need a full-time cfo not only is it expensive it's not necessary pro cfo partners offers very experienced CFOs that you can hire on a fractional basis, which I think is perfect for the small to mid-sized companies trying to grow. Um, On the other hand, I often see tech companies that have extremely competent programmer and salespeople, but the hardcore marketing piece um, is not there because it can require VC capital or a line of credit to really get out there. You can have a team of programmers build something explosive and market-changing, and it doesn't matter if nobody finds out about it. So at some point, you just can't rely on your current relationships and word of mouth. You have to bring in some expertise, and that can be expensive. So it's also a tough pill to swallow. It's kind of like dropping off your infant at daycare when you bring in VC capital or you are reporting to a board of directors instead of running the show yourself. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's an appropriate time and a financial model to do that. And there's also a fine line with having somebody protect your equity piece while you're doing that deal.
1: I feel like there's a ton to unpack here and it's really valuable advice in my experience. And you're talking, my language as a marketing nerd. Uh, (laughs) I feel like there's a, I see this a lot in organizations that I work with. When I start an organization, I start a company, it's because I can see problems. It's because i'm I come from a programming backward uh, background, and I can see uh, opportunities that haven't been you know developed yet, or I come from um you know a space that I'm familiar and comfortable with. And so those sort of biases can drive my behavior in the company. Very rarely am I starting a tech company with a deep breadth of financial expertise. And it can be really easy to hire that, that one person who, as you point out, puts me at at risk. Uh, but also, it's a different skill set. I might be like the world's best bookkeeper. Mm-hmm. That is not the same skill set as, well, let me help you strategically envision where we're headed for the next three years so that we can break into new markets and all these kinds of things. Or as you point out with marketing, I don't necessarily come from a marketing background when I'm starting my company I might come from a sales background. And so every problem, then it's the hammer and nail thing. I'm going to take more sales. Do you think that it's a lack of awareness of some of these issues that is, because I think it's, I think that is, as you point out, it's a, it's a non-starter. My company could die just because I didn't have the right people in the room, not because it wasn't the best idea. Is it right. because I don't know or because I'm reticent to take action in developing some of those uh, relationships
2: i think it's both and it's also about there's a little bit of pride involved and well like you know I, I created this i started this this program could change the way people look at this type of data um it's mine i don't want anybody telling me what to do i don't want to take other people's money because then they, they get a vote right
0: yep. um
2: and I would say that the average in tech that a CEO or an owner stays is about a year after taking VC Capital because you know, you're, bringing in, you're bringing in the expertise that knows how to get it out there. And sometimes that's just overwhelming for an entrepreneur to give up that type of control.
0: Create the Next is brought to you by Pro CFO Partners, who believe every business deserves to work with an expert CFO to guide its success. Pro CFO Partners are expert financial officers networked across industries, verticals, specializations, and situations. Fulfilling the role of a part-time CFO with all-time commitment ProCFO Partners utilizes the innovative and exclusive FGC financial flywheel as a framework that creates momentum to drive your financial functions for sustainable success. Visit ProCFOPartners.com to explore how we can implement a systematic and scalable financial system to help you achieve your goal. ProCFOPartners.com.
1: Yet so many more opportunities can come from the right relationship. And I think that gets back to maybe an earlier point that you were making, which is, Here at Pro Partners, we've got this huge array of like deep experts with all kinds of um, experience, Mm -hmm. but it takes somebody with a certain level of not just expertise, but experience to be able to help navigate maybe those VC relationships. Hey, this one could really work out for you. This one, I don't know, watch out. This one might be throwing all kinds of money at you, but look what they want in return. And it can really Mm -hmm. help me to have somebody around me that can help me sort of sift through the stuff that is intimidating or or frustrating or confusing to me and just kind of help me make my own decisions. That's valuable for any of us in business.
2: Yeah and it's really interesting too because like at OCFO partners we'll have a Friday once a month all hands on board meeting and there will be at least three questions. Has anybody done this? Has anybody implemented an ESOC program? Do you know who who we should use? Etc. Between you know there are over 40 of us and between all of us we have such diverse experiences and everybody is extremely accessible and happy to help.
1: Let me ask you a couple of questions about where we're headed. And okay. one of those is interesting to me, um, which is the blockchain, which is a capital B and nobody knows what it is and everybody's confused by it. And does that mean crypto? And does that mean Bitcoin? And I think <laughs> it's bigger than that, it's bigger than that, but I think for yes, the average, no. Yes, so, no. <laughs> right, I think for the average sort of I don't know, small to mid market company who's out there, you know, manufacturing something or or building my best new thing behind my screen. I don't know how the blockchain matters or how it's going to affect me in a couple of years. What do you think? Where are we headed with that? Can you give us just some really simple sort of cliff notes on how the blockchain matters, is new, is interruptive, is disruptive, and where you think we're headed with it in business?
2: Sure. I honestly think blockchain blockchain technology is going to be one of the biggest things in the next five years. Um, Let me start by saying that blockchain technology is not cryptocurrency.
1: (laughs) It's It's flashing beacon red lights everywhere.
2: There you go. It's a digital ledger of incorruptible, incorruptible economic transactions, which can be used to record anything of value. It provides countermeasures to prevent fraud and information leakage. It's also extremely efficient. For example, like if you're thinking about sending an ACH, um, a payment, a wire transfer you know, to one of your vendors for something you bought for a million dollars, it can take two to three days to get there easily. You can get someone that same million dollars via blockchain in 20 minutes. It's just a lot more efficient. Blockchains store information in blocks that are linked together. Um, And as the new data and transactions come in, it's verified and creates a new block. And so, like, if there's fraud or somebody's trying to get something and you have a series of, like, 10 blockchains, blocks chained together, and block two isn't meeting all of the criteria, it immediately flags that as somebody trying to get in or a transaction not being okay. So there are a lot of checks and balances with it. Um, In order to create a new block, the end user has to pass certain tests to get in and verify. It may be biometric, it may be dual authentication. It could be a lot of different things. It's safer because instead of having a giant server farm in one location, blockchain allows information to be stored in nodes across a network with all different means of authentication that the end user creates on their own. So you can't just like, get into a giant credit card card, card company's um, servers like like you could if you had their information, right? But like in blockchain, how would you have the millions of people on it different information? Um, you can have a completely secure transaction. It can handle huge sets of data storage and allows a lot of companies to avoid fraud. Um, predictions for blockchain in 2024 is around 20 billion dollars, inclining every time that it, it's going up and up and up. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think that banking and finance um, could benefit or may be hurt by it. I think that obviously currency, like the, it forms the bedrock for currencies like Bitcoin, etc. Um, healthcare records of property, voting, supply chain, smart contracts, etc. I mean, I think that the uses for blockchain haven't even been thought of that are out there, um, and the application of its usage. And I also think that like there are op- there are business opportunities around the application, and there are business opportunities around, um, you know, peripheral should I say, areas. So for example, um, I may or may not be married to a guy who's all into the crypto universe, right? Me, I'll keep, the small investors will probably keep their stuff in like Robinhood or Coinbase or like right on an exchange. If you're kind of bigger into it, you're dealing with with different types of wallets and blockchain wallets of storage of information. Um, So you could have soft wallets, you could have cold wallets, So like I said to my husband, I'm like, listen, I go, what happens if your plane goes down on this business trip? And I don't have any access to what you're in, like, which is like literally like 10 or 11 different places and all these different methods of storage. Um, And he goes, I don't know. So there's like investment planning or estate planning that hasn't been done around some of this technology so like what happens if this plane went down and i didn't know where to look for it or how to get into it it just goes away it gets sucked back up into the
1: metaverse and those are some of the real i mean and we've seen some real headline makers of I lost the password and therefore I don't I can't access my gazillion dollars of Bitcoin. There are new what I think is fascinating about blockchain. We could have a whole episode on blockchain, maybe we will. <laughs> what I think is fascinating about blockchain is as you point out, if if you just imagine a huge list, a huge ledger, a big somebody's making a note, but that note can never be erased or manipulated or destroyed or anything like that. I feel like um, as you pointed out, there are new efficiencies to be gained from that sort of expediency that we don't even know how to, it's like passwords, which are going, we're, we, we, we're figuring out ways to stop using them, but we don't have, we digitalists who've been using passwords for 20 years don't understand how we would not use passwords or biometrics or whatever. Blockchain is going to inform that. It's going to inform how we communicate. And and we don't know necessarily, I think, tell me if you agree, how that'll how that will impact us yet as businesses. And we also need, we're not there yet because things need to be transparent to us. If, if We need to be able to use the blockchain without understanding the blockchain. We need to be able to tap two, two buttons and it's there and it's, or I got my money as you pointed out and I don't need to think about how it worked. And right now for me to appreciate it, I kind of need to be nerdy about it and dig in and know what's going on. But it's a little bit like anything for me to prepare for it. I should surround myself with some people who know how to communicate with me about it.
2: Right. Well, I think it's interesting too because, like, if you think about like banking, what fifteen years ago we just we went to the bank, we wrote checks, we used our debit cards, everything was great, right? And then we kind of evolved into fintech, right, or finance technology, which was like you know PayPal, Venmo, etc. And now we've got fintech. Being a little threatened by blockchain and some of the fintechs are actually starting to utilize the technology because it's faster it's more secure etc
1: it's interesting stuff let me ask you another sort of trend that i'm seeing and, and i don't know, get your position on it one is uh subscription-based everything mm-hmm. so many companies even services not not just digital or or, or technology but are offering what used to be you know, buy it for three hundred bucks is now buy it for ninety bucks a year or twelve bucks a month. And I think that that idea of subscriptions is also carrying over into a larger sense of how do I license what I'm doing so that others, um, other organizations, other companies, other agencies, can, I guess, propagate what I'm doing. Do you see this as a trend? What's your sensibility about either of those trends, both licensing and uh, sort of the subscription model?
2: um, Well, there are multiple ways to sell software. I would say the the old way was called perpetual licensing, where a software vendor sells a product for a one-time fee, where the purchaser uses the product indefinitely, where the developer will maintain the product with minor updates, right? It's kind of going away. Um, Licensing then evolved to, you know, SaaS software as a service-based licensing where a client pays a monthly fee to use the licenses. For example, 10K, a a 10,000 node network can use the software for this monthly fee. You know, and this made sense from like a CFO standpoint because you can fully write off the expense in the month that's incurred. So we like that instead of like depreciating software, et cetera. Um, The newer trend where customers are looking for consumption-based software licensing fees which is more of a pay-as-you-go model. This is attractive from a financial standpoint from the consumer because as financial people, we want to allocate costs and create a chargeback model to certain departments for budgeting and performance analysis. And we certainly don't want to pay for anything we don't utilize. Consumption-based licensing is not extremely attractive for the company who's selling the technology or software. It's unknowns around how much they'll use presents lumpy, unpredictable revenue. A oh, lumpy sounds gross, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, it's hard to plan infrastructure and capacity around, and it's extremely hard to forecast, hard to build, et cetera. Everything about it's harder. The potential purchaser really needs to do a cost benefit analysis when comparing consumption based licensing, which sounds great, with a SaaS based licensing model because the companies right now selling consumption-based licensing, it's often 33 to 75% more than if you actually know your licensing into a SaaS-based licensing contract.
1: And I think it requires a level of uh, analytics and an understanding of the performance Mm -hmm. of your organization so that you even understand how to price for, as you pointed out, it's lumpy, how you even price for consumption what are the averages? What are the people? How do people use it in what ways, what times, what seasons, what uh, right. What packages do you want to build so that you're profitable, but you can also absorb some of those unknowns that you're pointing out? Who should do it? What sort of companies? There's so many things to think about. Right. Think about. But again, the more we see it, the more consumers are sort of. Asking or demanding it. I mean, I remember back in the day, you'd buy some enterprise piece of software for like a thousand dollars, and you uh-huh. not, you'd have it is- for dear life like, for six versions, you know. And 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 now you pay a monthly thing that gets constantly updated, new features and new attractions. How do mm-hmm. I then, as a smaller mid market company, maybe how do I compete with that? How do I how do I manage that? Those are all new questions to be asked and answered. I think that are among those challenges for software companies.
2: I 100% agree with that. Um, the consumption-based technologies with the bigs, like the big guys, um, are definitely priced at a premium to hedge all of the unknowns. But like, I think you really have to dig in to all the data analytics of like who is going to be the user, what do we think, and, and come up with some really good numbers. To you know, implement a pricing model that's profitable for you, but also attractive to the end user, because a lot of them can't afford what the bigs are charging.
1: Stephanie Parker from ProCOpo Partners, uh, just a deep wealth of expert insight on technology and technology companies. I can't wait to have you back because this is a sweet spot for me, and we can nerd out about all kinds of aspects. Of <laughs> I think the takeaway for me in our conversation today is one, I I have to make sure that I'm surrounded by people who can help me grow and not just solve uh, a small problem, not just tick off a task. But there's so much for me to be thinking about as, as technology changes and as technology organizations change that if I'm in that if I'm in that space, I have to be able to calibrate. With the level of expertise that my competitors and my consumers are expecting me to, uh, in order for me to survive. And I think, Stephanie, you've you've really laid out some interesting ways for us to think about that uh, from the fractional point of view, but also just sort of our own, I guess, insights or wisdom of learning. Thank you for sharing your time and expertise with us today.
0: Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to our subscribers. Consider becoming one today. Visit ProCFOPartners.com and learn how we can help you build a framework for financial management and growth.